There's none like you in all the earth. And the hills, they melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. A fire goes before him. A fire goes before you. You are part of the family of God. And there are administrations of power. (laughs) Administrations of the dominion of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yet to be unveiled. We declare today the name of Jesus. We declare the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus right now. Jesus. We declare the name of Jesus. The enemy has tried to bring some of you into captivity, but you are like Paul in jail in the midnight hour with Silas as you begin to worship. The chains are beginning to come off the containment. I say, awaken, awake my soul. I say, let resurrection power come up out of you. Awaken. We will not be imprisoned. Liberty, freedom, freedom, liberty is our inheritance. Awake, awake, awake. Amen. Father, we pray that you would awaken us. That the things that we've seen dimly would become explicitly clear, perfectly clear. God, we long to move from glory into higher glory. We want to honor Jesus, who is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he waits. says he waits until his enemies are made his footstools. It's Jesus on the earth that's going to make that happen. It's the body of Jesus on the earth. (laughs) So, Lord, teach us how to rule in the rain how to rule in the rain how to rule and rain in the rain how to rule in the rain Father in Jesus name I pray for divine refreshing this morning I felt so strong that so many of you We are, as we approach towards the end of October, it's a high season of witchcraft. And you can expect 
that this is the main warfare that is against the body of Christ all the time. It's spiritual. It's warfare. I'm not going to teach on it this morning. I I wish I would because we always need this reminder because we keep forgetting that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't, we're not trying to simply navigate circumstances around our employment, around our bank accounts, around the, the details of raising kids. We are interacting with an invisible realm where we are surrounded with enemies. But the power that we walk in is greater. But without the exercise of that power, we become victims. And so we're going to step in again and again and again and again and again. Father, I thank you for every prophetic word represented in this house. I thank you for every individual word that we have. And I thank you for the collective promise that you've given to Community Church here in Spruce Grove. And Father, we, we see coming forth a release of a wave of glory ah, propelled by a people of glory that will decimate the kingdom of darkness in this region. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks, team. You know, I was thinking about it this morning during the worship, over and over in the Bible, when it talks about Israel. We, we know that God was getting you know, them in line to serve him, to walk with him. But they were always, always having to deal with war. Remember that? Yep. Having to deal with war. And so when they numbered the people, when they counted them, they, they always counted the ones who were of military age, right? And how often do you remember them referencing those who could do things? You know, it's not just, here's, that, here's how many people we have, men, women, and children. It's like, these are the number that can draw the sword, why, why, why is that? Because when you're always facing extinction, when you're surrounded by enemies, you, you kind of need to be warring. You kind of need to be aware of that battle. Can you say amen? amen? But what matters is how many can draw the sword. How many can draw the sword? How many can go to battle? How many can fight? There's always going to be a cross-section of the family of God that's going to need, like Israel, need protection. The women and children need protection. Well, spiritually, hallelujah, in this army, we've enlisted women. And you know what? Children can fight too. But it has to do with, a, not with age, but with, of a faith capacity. A faith capacity. But our journey and the trajectory of all of our training is God wants you to be a man or a woman or a person who can draw the sword. That means when we come in for worship that we're not, we're not waiting for the ministry team to cut it. We're not waiting for them to sing our favorite song. We understand what this is really about. We're trying to create an atmosphere. Did you notice the crescendo in the atmosphere this morning and how how suffocating it was at the beginning. But God is saying, I'm training you. 
I'm training you to change atmospheres. This is where it starts, but you carry it from here. Wouldn't it be great if you could draw the sword at work? Well, you know, what if you could go to work and defeat arguments and philosophies and godless theories with the word? Because you know how to draw the sword. Speak. You know, this is what Jesus did. He was always drawing the sword. Every time the Pharisees came at him, they got, tar- they got, so, they got afraid to come at him. And they stopped coming at him. And then they changed their tactics and so they were just going to have to kill him. So, are you at that place yet? This is where we're going. This is where we're going. Every principality and power will be laid bare under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Not under his feet, under your feet. Because the symbiotic nature of the body of Christ will be that where we go, he goes. And where we go, we don't go alone. And where he goes, he does not go alone. We go as the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. So last week, I want to I just reference last week. Father, uh, but I'm going to pray first. Father, thank you for um, the promise. Thank you for destiny. Thank you, Lord, that you're not looking for slaves. You're looking for sons. You're looking for daughters. You're looking for family. And so, Lord, we just, uh, we just are delighted, God, to be part of what you're doing. Father, I pray in Jesus' name today that clarity would fill this room. God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, do you remember what I talked about last week? Who remembers what I talked about last week? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but um, what I was dealing with was I, was I was actually trying not to teach. Today I think I'm going to teach. Last week I wasn't teaching. I was, whether you know it or not, I was, I was ministering something. Which is, there's a difference. Because what we're trying to do, and this is why... Uh, so much we, the word of God and how it works, we don't really understand so much of what goes on. But it's not all about informing our minds. It's, it's about shifting our position and the position of our faith, the way that we operate. And so last week I was talking about how when Adam and Eve fell, they've got separated from God. Is it ringing a bell now? Yeah. All right, Adam and Eve. Those guys were at the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were at the beginning. But what happened at that time is, is mankind took on an ability to create uh, an image of themselves based off of their own thoughts, their own knowledge, their own opinions about good and evil. And we continue to do that today. What God is trying to do is to bring down that image. He's actually trying to create an image inside of you, but it's the image of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Father, I pray today, God, that even as the word goes out, Father, that we would begin to see the, the permanence of the things that you do. 
Lord, the strength, the overwhelming uh, superiority of what is born of you. God, I, you know, I, I, and I feel this. I feel like many of you are in a place where elements of your Christianity that you picked up, behaviors, attitudes, postures, um, uh, practices, are, are somehow waning. They're, they're becoming thin. They're becoming less effective, less, you know, they're, they're just losing some vital thing. And the Lord is saying, it's because uh, I am doing that. I am diminishing in you something that you built that was based on your idea of what I was saying, but it really wasn't what I was saying. And this is important because the truth is we can go generations. I mean, when you look at denominations and denominational systems, when you look at little cultured groups that have withdrawn from the world and have sort of, uh, what do you call it, fallen back to a position of safety where they're separate from the world, but they, have, they wear the same clothes, they talk the same, they have the same appearance, there's lots of these all over the world. But they, they embrace a caricature of an idea, a historical picture of something they're meant to be, but that has no power to change the world. And so they're left with constant retreat. Constant retreat. And we are in a season where what, we've, what we're coming out of is constant retreat. For, for 50 plus years, the church has been retreating in the West. Everywhere else in the world, the church is growing by leaps and bounds. Did you know that? One of the few places in the world where we are not growing numerically in significant numbers is in North America. And that's okay, because we are in a diminishing time where God is saying, okay, the last version that you are doing your best to wield and to walk in, you know, I'm pruning that in order to bring you a version, okay, kingdom 3.0 instead of kingdom 2.0. Because every tree in me that bears fruit, I prune. And so there has been in, in, the, in our history a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And we've taken that. We've done our best with it. But God is saying, now it's time to move to the next generation. But I can't, you won't actually do that until you start becoming dissatisfied with what you presently have. That's playing out not only culturally in the church and the West, but it's being played out often individually in our lives. Because despite the fact that we're all here in the same room, we're in different places, right? And so God is doing that. I want to say, let it happen. Let it happen. That's all right. You know, when you're walking in the safety of the family, you can walk through these kinds of ups and downs without feeling that your existence is being threatened because you have a family around you. Hallelujah. And so let it happen because guess what? We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. And, you know, parents, you know, if you have kids and, you, and they're, not, they're not maybe being exactly what you'd like them to be, you know what? That, that your kids also have to have a season. You know, that there's a, there's a point in their life where their faith has to become real. And so what's that process going to look like? I don't know, but it's got to be at least as up and down as yours. <laughs> so anyway... 
Uh, let's turn to our Bibles. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 4. Uh, there's a tremendous, this, this is not new passage. I'm not going to share with you something you haven't heard before, though I may share something you haven't heard before. But you know this passage really, really well. well I'll just read it here. It says, and again, he began to teach by the sea, and the great multitude was gathered to him, and he, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea, and he taught them many things by parables. And said to them uh, in his teaching, this is what he said, verse 3, listen. That's a good way to start. <laughs> listen. <laughs> Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's, a, that's an amazing prophetic picture of one dynamic of the kingdom. When Jesus is sharing a parable, he's giving you one perspective of one part of the kingdom. This doesn't summarize the entire kingdom. It's one tiny little functional part. But notice he shared it in a parable. Yeah. The next section is equally important, perhaps actually more important than what he just said. Now listen to this. He says two things in the next section that are really, really important. When he was alone, those around him, so he wasn't alone alone. He was with just a few disciples. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Now, it's not just the twelve. It's those around him and the twelve. So we don't know even what number that is. But it's not the obvious massive crowd that was there that, you know, I mean, imagine how big that crowd must have been that he had to create a kind of a uh, natural amphitheater, right, by getting out on the water and having the people on the beach to project his words so that he carried. He didn't have, a, he didn't have a, one of these. So, but this is what he says. He was, he's alone with them, and they start asking him about the parable, and he said to them, To you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins should be forgiven. Now, I absolutely love this passage because, now, let me me give a caveat here. If you are one of those types of people that says and has said this, he said, you know, Jesus gave great illustrations using agricultural themes because it was an agricultural society and he wanted them to understand. I, you may have said that, but I respectfully submit to you that that is incorrect. Jesus was not attempting to make things clear. What do you think? Well, how odd is that? 
Why was he not trying to make things clear? Because he wasn't educating minds. He was awakening hearts. This is, this is the thing. What the Word of God is meant to do is not to inform your mind, but awaken yeah. your heart. Yeah. Why? Why, would it, why, is that, why is that the way this works? Because we're not just creating better humans here. We're not creating more moralistic, more intelligent, more capable, more gifted people. That will be a natural consequence of being close to God, believe me. The generations of people that have stayed connected to God will be increasingly prosperous, intelligent, wise, gifted. That's just the way it works. But that's not the first step. The first step is to awaken your heart. So what he's looking for is, is he's masking what he's saying and he's looking for those who get it even when he doesn't say it clearly. Right. Now why is that important? That's, it's important because again and again and again, especially in this culture, you know, how many of you heard of the user-friendly church, right? The seeker-friendly uh, the seeker-friendly church is, is geared to let's dumb everything down to the level of the most immature, unchurched person. Now, is it okay to communicate in words that people understand? I got no problem with that. But if we're doing that in order to make, them un- make it unnecessary for them to walk in faith, then we have not cultivated the, what we're trying to cultivate. And the reality is this, that aside from your intelligence... Aside from your emotional capacity at the moment, aside from your personality, aside from your gifting, you have a spirit. And your spirit has inherent capacities that are far exceed the capacities of your personality and your mind. Your intelligence, especially if it's great, can be a problem. So all the intelligent people said, woe is me. (laughs) You are handicapped. You are handicapped. Doesn't mean you can't get past it. But the reality is when when Paul was, you know, talking to the Corinthian church, he says, like, you know, because they had a a wrong priority. They're all trying to be wise. It was a it was a cultic thing. It was a it was a uh, I won't even explain it. But they said, listen, guys, look around. Look around. Look at the people who responded to the gospel. It's the poor. It's the beat down. It's the, you know, I wouldn't say stupid people, but not many noble. Not many gifted. Not many strong. Not many superior. It, because there's, there's something about intense gifting in your natural self that makes you not need what God has. And so we're on this trajectory where God is saying, listen, there are capacities that you have as a child of God that are so beyond imagination. If only you could begin to tap into it. If only you could begin to understand what is available. Everything that Jesus did he, he did it to emulate the way so that we could follow him and begin to do these things. He, he gave us a pattern of how to walk in revelation, how to interact with the Father. 
And so that's why he says things like this in John chapter 3 and 4 when he's talking about being born again. He says, you must be born again. You know, when he said that, he didn't even really explain it. He just says, to, he says you must be born again. Why would he do that? Because he's saying there's a part of you that can get this. So I'm not speaking to the part of you that can't get this. I'm speaking to the part of you that can, the part that's, that's greater than your mind, greater than your present understanding. The, the, I'm trying to open the aperture of your heart because this, the paradigm on which Christianity is based, it's not your education. It's not your theology. It's not the things you know. It's how you operate. See, I, I love teaching. But the value of teaching is only good if it changes how you function. Just to be informed, to know, oh, that's how it works, but then not work it, is kind of useless. So, let's throw this out. Jesus did not speak in parables to inform. Jesus did not speak in parables to inform. He spoke that way to mask his message. So that seeing they may not see and not perceive. And hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn and their sins should be forgiven. I'm not going to camp on this too long. But you've heard me talk about the miracle where he healed the blind eyes. And, uh, you know, he took spit in the mud. Thanks, Jesus. I like a little bit of your saliva in my eyes, please. <laughs> so he creates mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, he's healed. You know what happens. Later on, the Pharisees hear about it. They're not sure if it was a real miracle, so they start investigating. I love this, because these are intelligent people, right? These are really, I mean, these are the brilliant people of that culture. These are the elite intellectually, socially. They're the most prosperous. These guys are on top of everything. And when, when he's explaining to them the miracle... They just, what? And it's like, it's, it's like this. You know, the, he keeps talking, saying, well, he spit on the ground, and then he put it on my eyes, and now I can see. And they're like, what? Tell us again? Like, what other concept would I speak about that I have to, I mean, that, that, this is not that complex. This is not rocket science. Why do we have to repeat it three times? Well, his parents are outside. Well, let's go ask them. So he goes ask them, and uh, they have no answer because they weren't there for the miracle. They said, well, he, this is our son, and he was blind. Okay, all right, we got that. So they go again. Now tell us again how, how can something so simple be so impossible? Because the words of Jesus are spirit, and they are life. Ah, God in heaven. God is trying to awaken our capacity to interact with his life. Mm. Let me move this along. (laughs) Um, He says something else absolutely critical for us as Christians to know in the next couple verses. Now listen to this. In verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? I love that, right? 
To ask that question, he expected that they didn't understand. And if you actually look at the whole Gospels, you'll see this happen a number of times where Jesus is surprised that he spoke in code and they never got it. Right? And even sometimes he seemed a little frustrated that they didn't understand his code. What if, what if we could change church around? You know, you know what we do? We will, we, if somebody doesn't understand, we say, well, let me say it to you simpler. What if that's not the problem? What if the problem is around faith, is around believing? What if faith was the catalyst for opening up your understanding and the reason why things fog up on us the reason why we keep having to be reminded of the same things and we go, oh yeah, I should worship. I should open my mouth. I should sing. I should declare. I should do these simple things because things change. But why is it we have to keep being reminded of them again and again and again? Because they're accessed through faith, not through intelligence. And your intelligence just doesn't have the capacity to hold on to certain things. So this is what he says here. I, I love, he asked the question, and we could talk about that, but this, this is the question. How then will you understand all parables? That's a significant statement. He says, listen, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the others? In other words, he's suggesting that this parable here is the key to understanding everything else. You can't? Is that like a wow moment? If you don't understand this one simple truth, all the ones ahead of this will be beyond you. So then, let's go back to this parable. What is so significant about this first parable that it unlocks all the other parables? Verse 3, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Well, you saw that. The next one's stony ground. Not much earth, so immediately it sprang up, but it had no depth. Okay, great. The last ones, right, fell among thorns, and the seed was choked. So we've got really three conditions under which the seed does not produce a harvest. He explains in the next section what those conditions represent. He says, The sower went out to sow. This is verse 14. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Have you ever had the experience where you come to a meeting and you hear something, and it's really powerful, and it's so simple, and then you go home, or the next week you're talking to another believer, and you're trying to tell them the simple thing that you heard on Sunday, and it's like, all of a sudden, it's gotten complex. All of a sudden, it's like you're speaking some of the same words, some of the same phrases, you're giving illustrations maybe that the speaker, the anointed man of God gave, but it's like the people are like, uh, I guess you had to be there. 
And you've heard me say this before. Why? The words are spirit in their life. And you can, you can hear them with your mind, but, it's the, but lose the significance, the understanding, the back story to those things. We were talking about this last week. Uh, because there's something in your spirit that it's called memory. Do you have spiritual memory? You know how you, you can forget the loaf of bread? Well, spiritual memory is something that's, that works by faith too. Spiritual memory enables you to, to recall the significance of certain truths and repeat them. Now, I feel like I'm, I'm already losing some of the room because I feel like like I'm hitting up against that cultural stronghold. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, we say, Lord, make us into the kinds of believers that you want us to be. You see, the reason why the church has not been as effective as it has been in other seasons is yes, God is pruning us, but he's turning us into another class of believer. And that other class isn't just larger churches, better programs, better music. It has to do with the quality of faith. But it's elusive. It's, it's impossible to enter into. He's saying here, listen, that, that if you don't have the right approach to this, if you don't have faith to begin with, then the enemy's going to come and steal that word. He's going to take it, and the significance of it will not remain with you. Father, I pray. We're, we're contending for something because we can't keep going around the same mountain again. God has called us as a church here in this region to strategically bring a kingdom breakthrough for this province. And if we don't do it, he will always find somebody else who will. But it always comes down to this. What is our appetite for the things that are mysterious? What is our appetite? How, how many times are we willing to step onto the water? We still have this circumstance where when we come in here on a Sunday morning, we are up against principalities and powers. But sometimes we come in Sunday morning like we're going to a restaurant. You know, the, the, the passive way that we come to church. Now, some of you, if you're a new Christian and you, you, know, you, you don't know what this is about, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to about, about the rest of us. I'm talking about those that have been saved for 20 years. That when we come into a room like this, we're meant to remember what this is really about. That when and we're meant to remind ourselves that when I speak the name of Jesus, something in the atmosphere immediately begins to change. That is in the wheelhouse of all of your experiences, church, family of God that have been here a long time. Yet it seems like each time we go away for a couple of days, we come back and it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. And, and there's this process whereby we have to be reawakened, reoriented. Now, I understand that because in the natural, that's my biggest problem. Ask my wife. Anything I don't do daily, I just forget the routine of it. You know, 
added to that, I hate routine. <laughs> Maybe it's because I don't remember routine. But, you know, for, for me, when I, when I go to do something, ask, ask Jim. I don't know how many times I've called Jim for the same technical instructions. He's probably thinking, you know, you could Google this. <laughs> but I'm a people person. <laughs> I had to do it again for the other day for the umpteen time. My garage door opener that's outside disconnected from the garage door. For the life of me, I cannot remember how to reset that thing. So it's like, it's like I'd never done it before. But that same dynamic exists around spiritual truths, except it's far more acute. And, and, and the, the, the way that we slumber, the way that dullness sets in, is much faster and that's why we actually, in these days, if we're going to face high-level principalities and powers, if we're going to take on the spiritual agenda for setting a tone for a region, for impacting a, a province, or changing a nation, believe me, we're going to have to get, it, you know, get ourselves to a place where we don't have to be awakened all the time. You know, when... When Samson, and I love the language of this, when Samson was, how many times did he get tricked by Delilah? And, and she said, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And he quickly snaps his bonds. But it says he stirred himself. Stirred himself. Why, what, what's that about? It's about reorienting, shaking off the weight of the weak, shaking off the dullness of being caught up in a world that lives on this plane when God is saying, come up here. Don't stay down here. But, but listen, the natural inclination is to come down. The natural inclination is to go to our natural abilities and natural feelings. And if you have exceptional natural abilities, the draw towards that is even harder. But God is saying, I'm trying to raise up a people who walk in the Spirit and this parable offers you a way to conquer some of those lethargic atmospheres that bring dullness and try to put you to sleep. Because if, if we have to start at ground zero every time we gather, and I, you've had, we've had this conversation before, we know, why does it take us 45 minutes before you know, we even hit our stride here? What's the matter with you guys? Well, this is not your average church. Uh, I don't want to talk about that. That would take a huge explanation. But we are, we, are, we are positioned in the spirit against a demonic power that God is calling us to de-enthrone in this region. And that's a prophetic word that goes way back, 30 years or something like that. But we are called to do that, but we can't do that with a people who, who have to start from scratch. Okay, remember, take your shoes off at the door. Remember, you know, you know what we had to do with our kids to orient them. Don't forget, wash your hands. Did you go to the bathroom? Wash your hands. Now, the instructions for coming into worship, coming into a place, wielding our swords, declaring the word of the Lord might be more complex. 
but the same gap, the same forgetfulness, the same dullness that, oh yeah, I'm supposed to wash my hands before I eat. He said, listen, this parable is the key to all the others. Now, let me sum it up quickly. Why? Because the conditions he gives, and there's three of them, are all around what stifles faith from being created. Faith, it says we don't see with our natural eyes, but with the eye of faith. Faith gives you eyes to see a world and circumstances your natural being cannot fully comprehend, cannot fully appreciate. And so this whole thing is saying, listen, if you want to be significant, if you want to do anything in the kingdom of God, if you want to understand the next thing I say, you need to get this. And what this is, is an, it's an ability to unlock that part of you that is the foundation for everything else that comes after. And if we don't do this, we can fill this place with moral people. We can fill this place with Christian adherents. We can fill this place with people who know the orthodoxy of New Testament faith. But functionality is out the window. There's no capacity to create the presence of God. See, what this is about is a presence, an administration of the glory of God that's meant to be on our shoulders to go wherever we go. But it's unlocked. So this is what he says. Listen, there's three conditions. Those that fall by the wayside. That means, it says, when, when they hear, Satan immediately takes the word that was sown in their hearts. Um, now, in another one, he says, they did not, because they did not understand it. All right? This is, this is shared, I think, three times in the Gospels. I think it was Luke, possibly, that said it. But he said, when they hear the word, they don't understand it, and then immediately the enemy comes. So right on the heels of that. So what, what does he say? He said, listen, there's an aptitude that we have, a pr- propensity to just ignore things we don't understand, to just dismiss them. If we don't understand it, it's not relevant. So we're not able to even keep it within our wheelhouse, and it's already gone. Second one is this. Um, said, uh, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves, so endure for a time. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. In other words, they, they will forsake that word because of the pressure. Pressure from family, pressure from whatever. There's no depth. Well, let me quickly go to the third one. And the last ones is uh, those those ones that are sown among thorns, they're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. All these three conditions cause you to lose the ground that God means for you to have. Father, (laughs) just close your eyes. Father, I just pray right now, God, the word that you have spoken into our hearts, the enemy has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. God, I pray right now. (sighs) Ah. 
Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. You know what that's going to mean for for many of us? It's, It's going to mean new dedication to prayer and fasting. And some of you are already in that. You're actually taking time. I, I asked you a question. Did you, do you remember what I shared last week or the week before or the week before or the week before? You know, there is a latent effect when you keep hearing the same thing, eventually you remember it. But what if you heard something and then heard it again and then watched the tape and then listened to it and then looked at the scriptures and read the scriptures in a couple of different versions of the Bible and then thought about it and then listened to it again and then... What would happen? See, the ability to keep the word. Takes effort. Takes commitment. Father, I pray today. God, that faith. Lord, I pray that the promise that you've given us. That you would unlock the abilities. I'm telling you, in this room, there is atomic power and gifting beyond our imagination, waiting to be unlocked. Prophetic vision. I mean, some of you are meant to be taken to heavenly places and have open visions of heavenly things. But God is waiting for you to be ready. He's waiting for you to be faithful to those beginning things. Now, not all of us are going to be world-class prophets. But I'm telling you that the average faith of the average believer in the days to come are going to far exceed anything that the church up to this time has ever seen. It's going to happen. The question is, who is it going to happen with? The cycle of going one step forward and two steps back can be broken in your life. The cycle of falling back into depression, the cycle of falling back into bad, sinful habits can be broken. And you know what? It needs to. Because we have a mandate. To expand his kingdom. We're not biding our time. We're not waiting for him to come back. And then everything's going to be fine. He said I'm not coming back. Until you do what I said. Was I want you to make my enemies. The footstool. Tread them under your feet. So what does that mean? It means when Pastor Mark does something up here. That looks a little silly. When some of our dancers or worshipers or somebody starts wailing or something like that, don't dismiss it as the empty machinations of an immature, emotionally deficient person. Don't write it off as excess. Maybe, maybe there's something to what's happening and you just haven't seen it yet. I don't want to belabor this, except I'm, I'm, I have an angst in my heart because I know that we're coming to a critical time where we have to cross a certain threshold as a people, enter in the fullness of what it means to be sons of God. 
So, Lord, we just we thank you for the way that you discipled your 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 twelve. How you called them to account, how you challenged them when they didn't understand, and you faulted them with not understanding. It wasn't a mystery. You didn't say, well. You didn't excuse their weakness. You didn't excuse their lack of prayer. You didn't didn't say it wasn't within their wheelhouse or their power or opportunities weren't there for them. You, You visited upon them the responsibility to walk out what you were presenting to them. Father, I pray for a church in Spruce Grove that will endure that same level of accountability. Because we have been promised something we haven't yet seen. Hallelujah. Okay, Chris, why don't you come up? Right, why don't we stand to our feet? We want to thank you for today. We want to thank you for the words that were spoken today. We want to thank you for the opportunity to come into this house and to worship you because you are good. And you have all things in control. Let's all say Amen. Amen.